Hello everybody and welcome to the Australian Seller Podcast. My name is Chris Thomas and I'll be your host and this is the show where we talk about all things Amazon and e-commerce, whether it be private label, wholesale, dropshipping and how you can generate a recurring income either on the side or as a full-time gig. G'day, g'day everybody. Last week I was up on the Gold Coast, Queensland for Retail Fest. It was so awesome to catch up with lots of old friends and make some new old friends. Uh, the content and the speaker lineup was absolutely fabulous as usual. A big thanks to Ash and Luke for inviting me up to moderate a Marketplace Sellers panel. Anyway, today I chat with Neil from Deep Orange Design. Now, Neil's an amazing product designer based up in Queensland who over the last 20 years has helped literally hundreds of people bring their product ideas to reality and design their next product. Neil takes you through the whole process from prototyping, patents, finding manufacturers and everything in between. The most successful Amazon sellers that I know innovate and invest heavily in product design to come up with really innovative products and they enjoy massive exits as a result of having, I'm going to do air quotes here, proprietary products. Now, you simply must come up to the Amazon Collective Mastermind that Regina and I are holding in June this year between the 18th and the 22nd in beautiful Ubud, Bali. You'll be joined by our invited VIP guests, Kirsty Verity, Leo Segovio, Bradley Sutton, and the one and only Steve Simonson. And in previous events, we've had VIP attendees like Jamie Paros, uh, the bearded one, Norm Farrar, Paul Barron, and Amy Weiss. So to apply, head over to the AustralianSeller.com forward slash collective where you can read all about the trip and apply to join that is the australianseller.com forward slash collective where you can read all about the trip uh, don't forget to join my facebook group all you got to do is head over to the australianseller.com forward slash facebook i don't know how many times i've said that now and i'm invite, <laughs> inviting offering private coaching still so head over to the australianseller.com forward slash chris and if you happen to own or work for a consumer products brand and need some help setting up or running your Amazon business, please feel free to get in touch with me. I've got a new agency over at amosphere.com.au. That's A-M-A-S-P-H-E-R-E.com.au. And we're an official Amazon service provider. All right, let's uh, listen in to uh, my chat with Neil from Deep Orange Design. Great to have you on the show. You're a product designer. Um, can you yeah. introduce yourself? Give us a bit of your background and what got you into product design and development? Okay, so, um, so my business, Deep Orange Design, is uh, it's a family business. Um, uh, up until recently, it was uh, run at home. Been operating for about twenty years under this banner, um, but I actually originally. I think I, I got into designing products and making stuff when I was a kid. I was one of those kids who would, you know, take a, apart the VCR or the tape recorder and stuff like that and to figure out how things work and make them better or make them never work again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got into industrial design coincidentally. Um, I hadn't intended to, but I just fell in love with it straight away and it, uh, it's uh, become my life for the last 24 or 5 years. Yep. Uh, and it's because I love making stuff. I just love creating. I love solving uh, problems, um, making things better, uh, and uh, and creating uh, fun and new and helpful uh, devices. That sounds really cool. Did you do like a course for that, or is there a special uh, course that you do? Or? Yeah. Well, um, I, I my first bit of education came from high school, where I, where I learned electronics, and then I spent a few years in the, uh, in the military doing electronics, but then. Uh, when I was 
literally hitchhiking across the country, I came across industrial design, and, and uh, that, which is a, a uni course. So I have a, uh, an honours degree in industrial design from Swinburne University. Fantastic. Is that the one down here in Melbourne? Uh, yes, yes, from yep. uh, Swinburne, yeah. Yeah, Swinburne Uni, just out there in Hawthorne. Um, so, well, let's get into product design, development, etc. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a standard approach that you like to use when it comes to um, designing a new product or just d- does the approach or, you know, change depending on where the product's at uh, in its life cycle? Um, yeah, look, the, the, the approach is is quite standardized um but it's very you know in its very basic form there there's generally three stages to a project and i just break it down to three stages because it's right. it's manageable it's, it's easy to track it's easy to follow and it's easy to process mm-hmm. however every project is different every job that i do uh, involves a learning curve because uh, there's it's a, there's a new product mm-hmm. um obviously each time i learn i build on previous uh, knowledge but um generally the way a project would work is the first the first stage would be uh, developing the idea, whether it's uh, improving an existing product or, or solving a problem that has never been solved before. Um, we will go through a process of, of, of developing a concept that may or may not work, and we'll refine it until we have something that we think that we can go and prototype and test. Mm-hmm. The next stage would be that prototyping and testing, or what I'd like to call a proof of concept. So we've, mm-hmm. we've taken our original concept, we're going to now prove that it will actually work. And whether it's, um, you know, a, a mechanical object with electronics and moving parts, or it's a simple silicon or plastic baby spoon, we yeah. still need to prove that the design actually works, that it fits in the, the baby's hand or in the mouth, it's not too bendy, it's not too stiff, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's manufacturable. And then the final stage is preparation for manufacturing. Um, and at this point, we'll, we'll take the design that we've come up with and, and the concept that we've proven and we'd make it manufacturable. So not every design is manufacturable from the get-go. Um, and when we prototype to prove that the concept works, uh, we still have to design the product for manufacturing. And that will depend on uh, a number of variables and the, and the manufacturing process that we would employ uh, for that particular project or, or product. Um, and yeah. this, again, depends on... Uh, intention and volume and, uh, and and the market and cost as well as well. Well, there is that, isn't there? I mean, there's the you know, molding costs that can be really expensive. Not so Absolutely. bad for something that's made out of silicon, from my experience. But certainly with plastics, oh, that's uh, that's not cheap. Molds and then, aren't cheap. <laughs> and then electronics as well, uh, and everything else. You know, metal parts and CNCing and all the rest of it. So. Depending on the product, I'm assuming that there are different types of prototyping that you would do. I'm sort of thinking out loud here, 3D printing, you know, machining. Yep. What do those sort uh, of early concepts look like in terms of yeah, what the prototypes <laughs> actually? Yeah, so we, we use uh, 3D printing um, on a daily basis, hourly. In fact, uh, I don't, you can see on my camera, obviously, you listen, it's current, but behind me, my 3D printer literally finished uh, a job a few minutes before this, uh, this interview started. Right. Um, so we, we do a lot of 3D printing, but we, uh, you know, if, if parts need to be made out of metal, then we have access to uh, CNC machines and, uh, and laser cutters and um, lathes and that sort of thing. And we also have lots of uh, resources that we uh, reach out to that are experts at, you know, making particular parts or components. But prototyping could be anything from, you know, using lumps of clay and bits yeah. of paper stuck together with uh, with super glue or sticky tape yeah. Yeah. Um, up to, you know, high-end 3D printing, uh, laser centering, um, CNC machining. Um, That's unbelievable. What's your mm. favorite um, 
product that you've designed from you know the get-go so far? Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a lot of favorite products. Uh, I guess one of my favorites is really the is, is one that 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 has had um, a lot of success around the world. It was uh, um, a product that uh, you can buy at uh, Beacon Lighting. Um, it's a retractable uh, ceiling fan called Fanaway. Yeah, called Fanaway. Um, I saw that on your website. Yeah, uh, and that that was that was a, an early project that I did, and it took a couple of years to to develop because nothing like it existed on the market. And um, we did a lot of uh, trials and experimentation, and uh, and I I helped the, the the inventor who was my client go through the whole process of, like I mentioned before, developing the concept, proving it with a prototype, and then taking it uh, on TV, and then mm-hmm. eventually to Beacon Lighting to uh, land a licensing deal and uh, and you know get global exposure with it. Yeah, um, and that, uh, I think I read right? in the case study that uh, that product project ended up on the new inventors is that right on that on the famous tv show yeah that's correct yeah um, back in the what the year two or two thousands or something i think it was two thousand. uh yeah uh, early 2000s yeah that was that was awesome and um i guess for the listeners the way that it works is it is it centrifugal the way that the fan blades kind of come out when the yep yep so there's a the, the fans are all mounted on springs and gears and um they 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 they're folded in when the fan is stationary, and, and when you turn it on and, and, the, and the base starts to spin, the centrifugal force throws the blades out and um, uh, holds them in position. So the, the benefit is that when it's not spinning around, you don't have these obtrusive blades sticking out that you can uh, bump your head into or you know stick brooms into or have kids hang off and that sort of thing. <laughs> There's that one. Yeah, look, that's one of my favorites on your website, I reckon. And then there was also um, My Squeeze, which I thought was quite good for pureed food. That was from a mum, I think, who came up yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. So My Squeeze is, uh, again, another local inventor. So she um, is from the Sunshine Coast, and she had a problem with uh, food pouches that uh, you had to throw away. And you couldn't fill, she couldn't fill her, her, her disposable food pouches very easily because the mouth wasn't very wide and, you know, you'd use them and you'd have to throw them away. So we came up with a, with a solution where um, using uh, silicon, mimicking the shape of the, the food pouches that you would buy in the store yeah. and giving it the same size, more or less, mouth opening for the child to feed off, yeah. but also but allowing the, the lid to be removed so you've got a very wide throat. So it makes it very easy to fill with uh, yogurts and puree and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah, and then the, really cool. the cap that closes it all off is was designed to be um, very ergonomic for very young kids, so it's easy for them to grip and and open and twist uh, and get it up and be able to use it without the need of a, of a care or parent. Yeah, I've got a friend of mine down here in Melbourne who invented the keep cup, which is now oh, a yeah. real sensation. Yeah, the reusable coffee cup, yeah. similar kind of thing. They went through a lot of different designs to finally come up with something that would seal and it could be held upside down and it wouldn't leak coffee and, you know, with its yeah. lid. And, yeah, I remember when that sort of first hit the market, Abigail just, yeah, just went absolutely crazy. Um, she won a few awards. Uh, I think yeah. it was a Melbourne City Council. They gave her some kind of grant and award um, for innovation around that product to yeah, just reduce the amount product. of, you know, disposable coffee cups that were lying all over the yeah. streets of our town and now they're all over the world. It's fantastic. What was my next quote? Yeah, so... You got all these great ideas that come across your door, or come come you know come to you. What do your clients sort of worry about you stealing their ideas? At <laughs> Absolutely, everybody does. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, as much as I can say, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't steal anybody else's idea. If I was if I was doing that, then I wouldn't be in business. 
Um, I have, uh, I'm happy to sign a non-disclosure agreement. I have one available for free off my website and uh, I'm, I'm happy to sign it. Uh, there's no point in me trying to steal somebody else's idea because it's not mine. If I'm going to do anything, it's going to be of my own idea. Yep. Um, unless I partner with a client, which I've done before. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I, even if I didn't sign an NDA, um, the legal repercussions of me stealing an idea would put me out of business and uh, run me to the ground and uh, I wouldn't be able to manufacture that product either. Yeah, there's, there is that. And I suppose there's also the reputational damage as well. You know, you get a pretty... Absolutely. Right. It travels Absolutely. fast, right? But um, well, speaking of all of that then, have you had your own ideas? Have you actually had inventions that you've iterated and you know gone from uh yeah absolutely um so i i i regularly come up with silly ideas uh some of them are not so silly some of them are good ideas um i when i first started out i had a range of uh resin homewares that i was uh, manufacturing i've invented many toys and games and gadgets and mm. sports equipment wow. um, right now i'm uh i have a range of rock climbing training gear that uh, we, uh, we've just launched a website um, and we're selling them uh, to the rock climbing and bouldering community. My son is into rock climbing and um, okay. it's an interesting one because uh, he, we couldn't find any training gear that fitted small hands. Mm. All training gear for rock climbing is designed to fit adults and yeah. you know there's nothing that would fit his hands. So we decided to come up with something that would suit his size and um, we started uh, coming up with some ideas and people liked them. And uh, so we now are selling um, under the brand of Crux Gear. And, Crux. Uh, Crux Gear. How do you spell it? <laughs> uh, Crux, C-R-U-X. So what about like Amazon sellers? I think you mentioned um, when we were talking off air or uh, perhaps during mm -hmm. an email exchange that you do have a couple of clients that are Amazon sellers and you've helped them to develop their products or iterate existing products and refine mm -hmm. existing products. How, what sort of ratio do you see of people coming to you with a brand new idea that needs, you know, complete sort of ideation Well, that's already been done, but, you know, right through mm -hmm. to the end versus people that already have existing products or they've seen an existing product and they think they can make it better? Like what's the split there? I'm not, I'm not quite sure what the split would be because it's probably about 50-50 where people are coming to me with brand new ideas or problems that they want solved. Yeah. Or they already have a concept that they have designed themselves mm -hmm. based off something that they have seen. Mm. Often existing products that have been designed to a certain point um, uh, can be improved. Mm. And I think most of those sort of projects come from uh, existing manufacturers mm. who recognize that their products uh, have reached a limit and, and they want to make them better. Yeah. There, there would be issues where if, if, you, if you have a product that is being manufactured by someone else and you want to make it better, there would be intellectual property issues that would need to be worked out before you can go and, and improve it because you just need to be sure that you're not in, in, infringing on anybody else's point, uh, yeah. patents or, or design registrations. Uh, it's not to say that we can't uh, do that or that it can't be done, and it gets, it's done all the time, mm. but uh, it's just something that needs to be looked at very carefully. Let's talk about that then. So with patents then, I would assume that doing a patent search or even paying a patent attorney to do a patent search on your behalf before you actually create the idea would be a sensible kind of first step for most people that have an invention? I think I first have to start with a disclaimer. I'm not yeah. a patent attorney, so I can't give <laughs> patent advice. 
Neither am I. However, I've been doing this for a while, so I do have a very clear opinion of okay. um, the patent process and, and what should happen. And in my experience, um, the patents that get written often refer to how something works or is made, not what it does. Right. Um, and a great example is actually the Fanaway product, which um, was copied almost to the tiniest screw by a, a local Australian company and put on the shelves under a different brand. Wow. Now, even though uh, we had the patent for the product and, mm -hmm. and what it does, uh, when the patent was examined by the, the you know in the in the courts, they found that the actual function of a you know a centrifugal um, blade wasn't protectable. But what was protectable was the shape mm -hmm. of the curve of the blade right. that the the other guys had copied, and it had nothing to do with the with the with the with it being a, a ceiling fan or a centrifugal force or anything like that. It had to do with the shape and the how we got the the, the result that we got. And that's what uh, forced them to take their product off the shelves. So the bottom line is, um, I actually recommend to mm. wait until we've got through the uh, prototype testing phase before you file for a new patent. Yeah. Because quite often during that development process, we come up with all sorts of uh, clever solutions mm. that, you, that, that you can protect and will prevent anybody from replicating your product um, if they can't use that particular method or process. So is that a, I mean, some of this would be utility, what, you know, the way that it works, but mm -hmm. I'm assuming then that introducing some kind of design element to a patent would also be a sensible approach. Yeah. It sounds like so, that's what got you out of trouble with your competitor who went and manufactured, you know, the same style, I guess. Yeah. So styling and aesthetic comes under design registration. Mm -hmm. um, and, I think that is only valid in Australia. If you register the design in Australia, it's only valid in Australia. And I'm not even sure if that's uh, doable in other countries. Mm. I do know, however, that there is a little bit of a workaround with copyright. Okay. If you have a particular shape um, or form, um, and this, this is something that uh, uh, shampoo companies and perfume companies do with the shape of their bottle, and they copyright that that shape as part of their logo. That yeah. means that nobody can go and reproduce that shape again without yeah. permission, of course. So the classic um, you, you can't patent that. you can't patent a style or a pattern or a um, you know uh, a form. No, okay. Patent is, is definitely utility for uh, yeah, that makes sense. Work. All right, so we get to the end. We've prototyped everything, and we've actually got something manufacturing ready. So, how do we find a manufacturer for you know something that's electronic, or how do we you know sometimes there's going to be a blend. You'll need someone that does plastic molding, and then you might need somebody that does electronics, and they're obviously going to be mm -hmm. different factories and things like that. Like, how do you how do your clients how do you help your clients to source the best factories to produce you know the, the product that yeah. is ready? Yeah, so. I generally tend to step back when it comes to uh, the contract manufacturing. So if there's a lot of uh, different factories that need to be contacted, um, I will usually help my client find a contract manufacturer and mm -hmm. be the liaison point with them. So I'll be able to speak the, the technical jargon with their contract manufacturer, um, provide all the working files, all the technical specifications, uh, quality control, mm. bills of material, all the, all the details that a manufacturer would need 
uh, and I'll be the the, the the liaison who understands their talk. Yeah. Um, in in some instances, in the MySqueeze uh, with the MySqueeze product, uh, I went through the whole process uh, because I had a good relationship with a particular manu- uh, plastics and silicon manufacturer, yep. and I followed the whole process through and 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 got the the, the tools made, the, the molds and the manufacturing, and I, and I did the first three or four manufacturing uh, production runs with them, yep. and then they were able to run with it by themselves, and and I don't have anything to do with it now. Okay. So where do most people get their products manufactured? I mean, obviously the you know, elephant in the room would be China. Is that where most um, Australian inventors, product developers or product people, is that where they end up mostly? I'm afraid so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, there, there, there are, there are um, other places that are becoming a little bit more uh, common. India is becoming, um, mm. you know, uh, fairly popular. Uh, but depending on what it is that you that you're getting made, uh, Taiwan is great for for electronics. Yes. Um, uh, but also, there's there's a lot of good manufacturing in Australia, especially if you uh, you need to keep a tight lid on your intellectual property. Yeah. Uh, it does cost more, but it does it is a, a whole lot easier mm. when you when you're speaking to someone local and you can call them at the you know in the, in the right time zone and speak the same language. Um, yeah, that's that, right. That often, you know, uh, offsets any any savings that you might think that you get from uh, working overseas. Yeah, because there's been dozens and thousands of products that have, you know, landed in China um, that have suddenly found themselves on Alibaba a couple of weeks later that have yeah. never been seen before. But of course, somebody. I, I don't think it matters where it gets manufactured. If it's selling well, it's going to be copied regardless yeah. of where it gets made. Yeah, that sort of winds back to the patent question, then, is it? Doesn't it? It's your ability to defend the thing, and uh, so Absolutely. you need to. And, yeah, yeah, and I, I often tell uh, clients if if you don't have a couple of hundred thousand dollars to protect uh, your mm. patent or your product when it get, when it gets ripped off, yeah, um, then it's pointless spending twenty or thirty thousand dollars on a patent to begin with. That's right. I think it, it's probably it's definitely worth getting a provisional patent while you you know in that yeah. early early yeah, phase absolutely. you've got twelve months I suppose to first you know, to market is a, is a, in my opinion a much better strategy especially with fast moving goods because you know inevitably uh, someone is going to copy it regardless of of, how, of the patent protection that the you IP. have uh, yeah, unless what, you have unless you have you know you, you you're certain that you have that you're going to do tens of millions of dollars in sales. Um, then uh, you've got to think really careful about how much you spend on IP protection. <laughs> That's right. I think, what was it? Not Amazon. It was Apple spent millions, if not billions of dollars trying to protect the iPhone from Samsung, but that yeah. didn't go anywhere. So even with deep pockets, it can be you know, pretty tricky. Um, yeah, it's true. I think my approach was when I was sort of in that product development and, and actually you know inventing things, uh, I'm just actually doing something at the moment around that, but getting back into it. But um, my approach was to, like with the first version of the product, certainly had a provisional patent, but I never went ahead with a full patent. But I always had ideas about um, what I'd call a product pipeline. So what I was doing was basically going, okay, this is version one. That was actually a Kickstarter version that I did for the first product. But I already knew that for version two, I was going to do something a little bit different and continue to iterate on the idea to stay in front of you know the competitors that, you know, yes, eventually, absolutely. eventually rocked up. So, yeah, I, I do recommend um, uh, filing a provisional patent if you can, if you intend to pitch your product to the public, whether it's yeah. uh, to an investor or a manufacturer, or uh, even if you are starting out. Uh, provisional patent costs about one hundred and ten dollars to file. 
Yeah. Um, but you, you, it needs to be written properly. Um, so for that, you're going to have to, you're going to pay a patent attorney a few thousand dollars. But that does give you 12 months of priority date. So if your product does take off, um, you you have that priority date to say that you're protected from that date. That's it. And then, you know, there's plenty of cash rolling in. It's very profitable. You can maybe, you can actually think about getting a patent at that point. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, just build on that. Being able to say patent pending is a deterrent uh, on its own. So it can be. That's, a, that's always a good thing. 100%. All right. So if I came to you and I said, hey, I've got this product idea, how, how much is it going to cost? What would you tell me? <laughs> uh, well, before I tell you that, I would ask uh, a few questions. Um, one, obviously, uh, I'd need to know a bit about the product. I would need to know what your intention is, meaning are you going to be self-manufacturing or are you going to be sending it out to manufacture? Do you just want to get prototypes to see if it works? Um, do you want to do a short run to test the market to see if it's viable? And uh, and then I'll look at the project and I'll work out a cost. Um, yeah. You know, a small like a, a small plastic component, which might only cost you know ten cents to to manufacture, mm-hmm. could cost thousands of dollars to to design because it's got to work, it's got to do certain things, it's got to fit in certain places, it's got to be made out of a certain material, it has to function. So, yeah. it, you know, it, it is really how long is a piece of string? <laughs> I thought that might be the answer. How long is a piece of string? Is there anything I haven't asked you that we should? cover do you think for people that are you know looking to invent something or i might just add though for for your listeners who are selling on ebay one of the things that 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 i'm, I'm presuming that you do is you research your market and you see where which products are selling are, are selling the highest numbers and then That's you right. want to be able to fit into that niche one of the things that that uh, we do a lot of is is viability testing and uh, we have you know ways of very quickly and cost-effectively producing products that are not necessarily manufacturable mm. at the, yet, but they can be tested on the market. So even if they're 3D printed and you could still sell them um, as uh, as test mm. products or trial products or initial runs and get an idea of, of uh, what your customers say and get some feedback from them to determine whether you should actually um, go ahead and, and spend uh, the money designing it for manufacturing and developing. Mm. So the, the, there's cost-effective ways of testing your idea before you have to actually commit to the, the costs that are involved in expensive tooling and, and that sort of thing. Like um, mm. And then, of course, you know, there's, uh, if, if, there's, if there's problems that you need solving or gaps in the market that, that need filling, it's also it's a, it's a fun and exciting process to come up with an idea and, and watch it evolve and uh, and hold it in your hand and test it and uh, and see it becoming real and actually solving the problem or filling the gap that you found. And yeah. knowing that you are the creator of that, obviously you have a whole lot of benefits in that where there's no other middleman that you have to pay to get the product on into your line. Mm, um, right. So we understand that process and, uh, you know, the we, I would generally tailor the the, the the project plan that, that we would make towards your intention yeah. rather than just say, okay, we're going to go and design this uh, and it'll be manufactured however we decide it's going to be manufactured. That makes sense. Um, yeah. So it's very much about what your intention is and what you want to do. Yeah, well, that's, you, you've touched on something there that's something that just about every Amazon seller does, which is to look at the best-selling products. And then one of the beauties of Amazon is the reviews that people leave about the quality or the function of something that they've mm-hmm. purchased. 
And we'll often look at the one and the two, maybe even the three star reviews to find out what people don't like about a certain product that's existing on the market already. Um, together with the you know, the fours and fives where people are happy and so it's trying to keep the good things and see if you can fix the bad things. Yep. Um, and you often see a trend that's running through the reviews where there's very similar issues again and again, particularly when it comes to one and two star reviews. So there's that. Yeah. And then the, what's the brainstorming process look like for your, you know, with your clients? Like do you sit with them and, and brainstorm together or do you just go away into a dark room and try and solve, <laughs> <laughs> solve um, problems? Yeah. It's not. It's not a dark room. It's very bright and airy, and um, my office is actually right on the on, on the lake, so I can step outside and sit on the, sit on the grass. Um, but uh, yes, so you know, often people come to me with a with an idea that they already have, and they, they know what they want. They know what they want it to look like. They've got uh, a mood board. They've got uh, examples or, of of other products that they wanted to uh, to fit within that particular category. So that makes the the ideation process. A bit easier because we don't have mm. to develop a whole range of concepts. But sometimes, um, uh, for example, this uh, the, the the range of uh, rock climbing uh, training gear that we did. Yeah, um, we, we we needed to come up with something that was unique and different. So we sat down. At, this is we, me, and my son, who is my client. Mm. Um, uh, we sat down <laughs> and we brainstormed uh, a range of different. Uh, ideas. And we looked at different products on the market, and we came up with different sketches and ideas and designs. And we eventually, eventually, um, you know, landed on something that we liked, and we, and we created a style around that. And we designed uh, three or four products using that particular styling uh, and yep. aesthetic, and and ran with that. Um, often uh, with clients, even if even when they know what they want, and we and, and I design it according to their specifications. We come up with the first initial prototypes or even sketches or 3D uh, computer renderings. And, they, and we look at it and we say, you know what? That actually doesn't look good. Let's mm -hmm. make it a bit fatter. Let's make it a bit wider, greener, redder, more texture, proportions. Yeah. And we can play with that um, you know, as needed and, and change all that before we start actually making anything and spending money. It sounds like a really good approach. Had any clients that have ever crowdfunded their ideas? that have gone through your um not so much crowdfunded um but i do have clients that have that would seek investment from partners yeah where, where, where do you find a, a partner is that some kind of vc <laughs> firm or yeah vc so right now i'm working on a on a sports training product um mm -hmm. and uh, we're preparing it to be pitched in front of a panel of VCs, um, so venture capitalists who who have money and they're looking for new projects to enter uh, and invest in at an early uh, stage. Mm -hmm. um, so for that, uh, I'm preparing a, a working prototype mm -hmm. with all the electronics and an app and Bluetooth and, and a bunch of you know clever wow. clever things that uh, are very very rudimentary in terms of manufacturing, but it will be mm -hmm. able to demonstrate the the purpose and intention of the product. So we'll be able to prove that the, that the concept works. Yeah, and uh, we're pitching for funding, kind of like a Shark Tank pitch. I was going to say um, it's like Shark Tank without the TVs, right? So <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I think it will be on TV, but uh, no, right. not TV, but it'll be online anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and oh, uh, sounds, we'll see how that goes. That sounds really exciting and nerve wracking all at the same time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I always wanted to go with Shark Tank, but I've just been too petrified to, yeah, anyway, yeah. That. I've got a few ex-clients. Oh, no, I've got one at the moment. It was actually, I was, was on Shark Tank. So, oh, awesome. Yeah, with, a, with a range of podiatry products. So, yeah, fun. Fascinating. Thank you so much, Neil. I was just wondering, 
I don't have any more questions. I, I think we've pretty much covered everything from one end to the other. So that's been amazing. And thank you very much for jumping on the show this morning, our time. No problem. Uh, how do we get in touch with you if we wanted to do that? Uh, so my website, deeporangedesign.com.au, is probably the easiest point of call. Um, uh, you can Google my name or just Google Deep Orange Design and uh, mm-hmm. I'll come up here. There's a, you can send me a, a message through there, download my NDA and, and sign it before you talk to me and uh, <laughs> save, save that process. Um, yeah. I think, uh, I think the listeners can trust. Yeah, absolutely. 100% trust Neil um, with, yeah, with their ideas. So, yeah, if anybody has a, a great idea or they're looking to iterate an existing product of theirs, uh, yeah, please get in touch with Neil. It sounds like it uh, be a really fun collaboration. Awesome. Thanks very much, Chris. Good on you, Neil. Thanks for your time, mate. No problem. Links and show notes for this episode can be found over at theaustralianseller.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher or your favorite podcast platform. Sign up to my email over at theaustralianseller.com and I'll send you a note each time I publish a new podcast episode. Thanks so much again for listening.